morning, everyone. Uh, we'll start out this morning with the Bible verse from John, John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And uh, as we saw in your newsletter, uh, Dr. Jim is going to be teaching this morning, uh, actually finishing up uh, where, when he started back in March. Uh, so for the next two Sundays, he's going to cover basically, I believe, three lessons for us. So we're looking forward to that, Dr. Jim. Uh, I checked the online attendance registration this morning. It, uh, it had the Sunday schools listed, worked fine. So please don't forget to go in and uh, sign in for both Sunday school and church services later today. Uh, my neighbor's pantry, I uh, just want to bring out, there's a request, uh, their biggest need right now is laundry detergent and cleaning supplies. So if you have some extra cleaning supplies or laundry detergent at home, please, uh, drop them off at the church. They said they will certainly take them because they need about 250 to 300 uh, every week. Wow. So uh, also <coughs> remember the to-go menu, it's printed in the newsletter, what uh, is gonna be available this next week starting on Tuesday. Prayer requests this morning. Uh, Jim Adcock, uh, getting ready for replacement, yeah. his uh, hip replacement. So please keep Jim in your prayers. Uh, please continue to pray for our, my family. Uh, we will be traveling to Mississippi tomorrow. Uh, and we'll have a grave, graveside ceremony for my mom. Uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, so please keep us in, in your prayers. And I want to thank everyone for all the cards, the emails, the phone calls, everything. I really appreciate that. And uh, thank you very much. Please uh, remember Malone. Uh, I understand he is back at home, but he and Charlotte both certainly need our prayers. Bill Griffin, Mary Kay Mills, and Pat Stamps. Pat, it's good to see you this morning. I guess you're you're getting better. Uh, continued prayers for Dick Anthony, the Coonies, Betty and Don Gay, Shirley May, Edna Smith, and Stan and Virginia Tomlinson. Birthdays. Sharon Erdman tomorrow, uh, Ann Douglas on Tuesday, Laverne Lamb and on Thursday, and Bill Scott and Virginia Hardy on Saturday. So happy birthday to all of you. A uh, big week of anniversaries. Lynn and Jim Adcock, 
53 years, Jeannie and Jim Elders, 53 years, Linda and Bob Leckie, 58 years, and Gloria and Jack Stanler, everybody, Stanley. clap your hands, 66 years. Unbelievable. All right, and uh, save the date. Monday, October the 12th is the Malone Dodson Golf Tournament. So I believe Larry Hunt has a prayer today. So Larry, if you'll uh, unmute yourself and over to you. Shall we pray? As the scripture says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not easily provoked. Thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Love never fails. But as we know, human knowledge is limited. For we know in part, and when, when, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. Lord, we ask your forgiveness for the many times we have failed to live up to this standard. Help us to remember this in this time of extreme political conflict and disagreement. Father, we pray for wisdom for our leaders of all persuasions. Help them find solutions that will deal with our problems. Father, we come to you with grateful hearts for the many blessings you have poured out on us. We praise and thank you for your gift of salvation, which you provided through Jesus, our Lord. Help us to share this blessing with all the peoples of the earth. Father, we pray for those in our midst with hurt, pain, and illness. We pray for Malone, beloved member of our church and the CUC Sunday School class. We pray for healing and restoration. We pray for Fred Brown and his family on the death of his mother. Give him peace and comfort. We pray for the gays at home with a daily caretaker. We pray for Pat Cooney as she struggles with multiple myeloma. We thank you especially for Bill Griffin and his recovering so well from bypass surgery. We pray for Mary Kay Mills as she deals with leukemia. We pray for Jim Adcock with health issues and pending hip replacement. We pray for Pat Stamps as she struggles with shingles. We pray for all those in our midst who need your hailing hand. Father, we thank you for Jim Cormick McCormick and the lesson he brings us today. May we understand and learn your truth from what he brings today. All these things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you, Larry. Uh, okay, Dr. Jim, uh, we'll turn the program over to you. Well, good morning, CUZ class. Good morning. As I was saying, when I was so rudely interrupted by the coronavirus, we were in the beginning of uh, a series based upon the question asked on that first Palm Sunday. In the midst of the, all the crowd and turmoil, someone asked, who is this? So we were starting a five-part series answering that question, who is this? The first question was, who is this? And the answer was, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Then we shifted ahead to the fifth session on Easter Sunday. And we answered the question, who is this? This is Jesus, the risen and living Lord. 
that left us with three sessions that we did not cover. So the first two we'll do today. Who is this? Jesus, the man of prayer, and Jesus, the man for others. And then next Sunday, we'll conclude it with answering Jesus, the man of sorrows. Whatever else he was, you know that Jesus was a man of prayer. The whole pattern of his life was a kind of twofold motion. He would withdraw and be with God. Then he would go with people to pour out his love and his goodness to them. It's like breathing in and breathing out. Time with God and then time with others. And all that he did in ministry to people was not possible apart from what he received when he was with his, his father. For Jesus, prayer was more than an Aladdin's lamp that he rubbed to get what he wanted. No, prayer for Jesus was connectedness. Being connected with that which is the source and the meaning of life. And of course, that's God. We can never understand Jesus if we don't understand the place of prayer in his life. But Jesus' uh, prayer life was more than just saying a few words to God. So let me give you a larger definition of prayer. Listen carefully. I'm about to say something important. Prayer, rightly understood, is anything you do with a conscious awareness of God. Let me say it again. Prayer is anything you do with a conscious awareness of God. As Brother Lawrence described it, prayer is practicing the presence of God. Of course, it's grounded in those times when we are conscious of directing thoughts and words to God. But that needs to flow into the larger understanding of an awareness of God in every moment of every day, no matter what it is we're doing. Prayer is like a time exposure of the soul to God. As any photographer can tell you, in a time exposure, you may not have much light, but you open the lens of the camera for an extended period so that the image of something outside the camera can be imposed upon a sheet of film or a digital uh, chip or something inside the camera. So prayer is a time exposure of the soul to God. And out of those times especially set aside for God's inclusive use, that should flow into a larger life where everything we're doing, we do with the consciousness of God and allow God to shape that and give meaning to that. When I was a child, my mother gave me a plaque, a little plastic plaque that we hung on my wall. And the plaque said, prayer changes things. I believe that, but what I believed early on has grown. I, I first thought prayer changes things. It changes my circumstances. It, it helps to shape the world I live in. But as I've grown, I've come to understand the thing God wants to change most of all in prayer is me. 
I spend time with God in prayer. So he begins to change me into that person he created me to be, the one he intended me to be. So that through prayer, something of Jesus' life can be imposed upon my life. Uh, something of Jesus' life so that we begin to see with Jesus' eyes. We begin to hear with Jesus' ears. We begin to speak with Jesus' tongue. We begin to feel with Jesus' heart. We begin to act with Jesus' hands. So something begins to happen to me, to change me in prayer. But all of that has to be grounded in some time set aside for God's exclusive use. And someone has suggested that the word acts gives us a pretty good outline for that. A-C-T-S. A, begin with adoration. Just celebrating the godness of God and adoring God for who he is and who he is to us. Adoration. Then confession. Someone said confession is simply being honest in the presence of God. We, we allow God to see us as we are and free us and forgive us for all that we have failed to be uh, the person God has created us to be. Confession. Thanksgiving. Uh, we, we count our blessings and name them one by one. And then supplication. We're invited to make requests of God. We can be guided in how to do that by Jesus' own prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, Jesus began his prayer saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. That's a good modification to make of all prayer because not everything is possible. Uh, God probably is not going to suspend the law of gravity to save us from a fall. So no need to pray for some things like that because it's probably not going to happen. Uh, also, if you pray for someone else to do something, <laughs> it's not possible for God to uh, make someone do something they don't, don't choose to do because God will not interfere with someone else's freedom to choose. So with those two modifications, Father, if it's possible, oh, and the end of that prayer is the high point of every prayer. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. Your will be done. When we're making requests of God, I, I, I used to think that prayer was asking God to do something and then God acting. I, I don't think that too much anymore. God already knows better than I do what ought to happen and wants everything good to happen for his children. He doesn't need for me to tell him about that. God already wants good things to happen even more than I want good things to happen. So maybe prayer is not so much asking God to do something so that God can do it, but maybe, maybe prayer is something different than that. Maybe God takes us so seriously that there are a lot of those good things that he will not do without our participation. What if prayer is us connecting with God 
And as we ask God for things, power is released in that so that we and power and God together can release energy to encourage things to happen. What if it's us together and God choosing to let us have a part in all the good things that he's doing? If that's what supplication is about, then it makes a great deal of difference whether or not we pray. Prayer is connection. Prayer is practicing the presence of God. That's what Paul was getting at when he talked about praying without ceasing. That doesn't mean that we spend all of our time uh, saying words to God or offering up thoughts to God, but allowing God to so permeate our lives that every moment of every day becomes a prayer when we are aware of God's presence and we allow it to shape us and give meaning to our lives. Let me close this very brief and inadequate discussion of prayer with a parable from Peanuts. One day, Charlie Brown and Lucy are leaning against a tree. And Lucy says, what do you think security is, Charlie Brown? He says, security? Security is sleeping in the back seat of the car when you're a little kid. And you've been somewhere with your mom and your dad. And it's night. You're riding in the car and you can sleep in the back seat. You don't have to worry about anything. Your mom and your dad in the front seat, and they're doing all the worrying. They take care of everything. Oh, that's real neat, Lucy says. But then Charlie begins to get a serious look on his face. And he raises his finger and says, but it, it doesn't last. Suddenly you're grown up. And it can never be that way again. Suddenly it's over. And you'll never get to sleep in the back seat again. Never. Lucy gets a worried look on her face and she says, never. And Charlie, devastated by the terrible truth he just spoke and replies, never. Lucy, stricken with the new knowledge of the, of the real world, reaches over and says, take my hand. Charlie Brown, prayer. Prayer is stretching forth a hand in faith and feeling it grasped so that all of life becomes prayer. That's the first part, Jesus, the man of prayer. We talked about Jesus, the man for others. Let's start on that Thursday night of Holy Week. On that night, remember, Jesus and his disciples had gathered for the last meal together. And it was customary in those days. Everyone wore sandals. The streets were dusty and dirty, and it was just customary when people gathered together that someone would offer to wash the feet of the people who were there. It was like us offering a glass of tea or a cup of coffee. 
uh, just hospitality. But all the disciples were busy competing with one another for their place of honor in the kingdom of God. No one of them was willing to lower themselves to be a servant. So the scripture says Jesus himself took a basin and a towel and got down in the dust and washed the disciples' feet. He did what none of them were willing to do. And then he said, do you understand what I've just done for you? I've given you an example that you should do for one another what I have done for you. And this is how people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. You're saying that love was simply doing for others what's been done for us. We've been loved, so we are to love. We've been forgiven, so we are to forgive. We've been blessed, so we are to bless. It's passing on all those blessings that God has given to us. Look at that scene on that last Thursday and you'll get a new picture of greatness. Our culture keeps telling us that greatness is in having servants. Jesus said, no. Greatness is being a servant. That's the new picture of greatness according to Jesus. Not greatness with a crown on its head. Not greatness with a sword in its hand. Not greatness with a purse of money in its belt. But greatness with a towel in its arm. Serving. That's a new picture of greatness. Jesus asked the disciples, do you understand what I've done for you? I've given you an example that you should do for one another as I've done for you. That's a picture of Jesus, the man for others. His life was grounded in God, the source of all meaning and direction in life. But then it was poured out, poured out for others in relationships. That's the life of the man for others. Think about the way in which Jesus loved people. Jesus loved everybody, without exception and without limit. And that's what got him in trouble in the first century world. He, he loved people, well, what we tend to do is we divide the world up into the worthies and the unworthies, the lovables and the unlovables. Jesus never did that. He just loved everybody, everybody. All the people in the first century who were considered to be unworthies, Jesus seemed to single them out for special love, special attention. Jesus says we're to, to love everybody. Now, I, I'm glad that Jesus doesn't say we've got to like everybody. <laughs> I don't know about you, but no matter, no matter how hard I try, there's just some folks I can't like. But what Jesus says is you can love people that you don't even like. Because love is not a feeling. Love is something you do. It's something you do. 
somehow so many people have gotten the wrong idea of what the Christian faith is about. Uh, some people talk about believing all the right things. Well, belief is important, but, but that's not what Jesus emphasized. Somewhere along the way, Christianity got reshaped into it's mostly about beliefs. Wars are fought over beliefs. Uh, the church was divided between East and West, between Orthodoxy and Roman Catholicism uh, because of beliefs. But, but that's not what Jesus emphasized. Take, about, take a look at the Apostles' Creed. Everything in there is about what you believe. Now, I'm in favor of that, but, but that's not where Jesus placed the emphasis. Jesus didn't talk too much about what you believe. Jesus talked about what we are to do. Do. Someone asked him one day, Master, what's the great commandment in the law? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, that, that sounds like the right order of things. You, you, you could write a book about that. About first of all, it's our relationship with God. We are to love God with everything we, that we are and everything we have. And then we are to allow that God to love us, make us who we are supposed to be. And then we pass that along to others, loving them as God has loved us. But all those things are about what we are to do. We are to love God, to love ourselves, to love others, what we are to do. It's not just about believing. If you want to know about how to love, read the 25th chapter of Matthew. Jesus was talking about who, to, who is to be received into the kingdom, separating the sheep from the goats. And Jesus said, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was lonely, you, you came to me and you welcomed me when I was a stranger. When I was sick and in prison, you came to visit me. And the people around him said, when, when did we do that? I don't, I don't remember that. When did we do that? And then Jesus gave us the most profound ethical principle I know. Listen again, this is something important. When Jesus gave us this, this word about what we are to do, he said, just as you've done it to one of the least of these, who are my brothers and my sisters, you've done it to me. So we are to see the face of Christ in the face of every person. And just as we are to, would do to Jesus, we are to do to them. Love is something you do, not just to the worthies, not just to the lovables, but to everybody, everybody. Most of us grew up in the area, in the time of revivals, and some important things happened during those times. It happened to me. But, but too many people understand Christianity is simply you have an emotional relationship with Jesus and you invite him into your heart and uh, he, he forgives your sins 
and then he saves you. He, what we mean by that is we, we allow him to promise to get us into heaven. Yeah, you know, so much of that sounds pretty self-centered. Uh, listen, about something important at the end. Jesus did not come into the world to get you into heaven. Sorry to clarify that for you, but that's, that's the truth. Jesus did not come to get you into heaven. Jesus came to get heaven into you. And once he gets heaven into you, then you getting into heaven will take care of itself. But getting heaven into you means allowing God to be God for you, to be at the center of your life, shaping and giving meaning to everything else, and allowing God to love you, to make you into the person God has created you to be, and then to pass that love along to others. All others. See, Jesus loved everybody, and that's what got him into trouble. The, the, the self-righteous people just hurl their tears, their jeers at him. This man welcomes sinners. He even eats with them. Oh, how terrible. And they were right. He did that. Someone said Jesus never lost his taste for bad company. And I sure am glad because that includes me. Jesus loved everybody. Romans, prostitutes, tax collectors, even the lowly Samaritans. Everybody. And that's what grace is. Loving everybody without condition because our worth, listen, our worth has nothing whatsoever to do with our behavior. Our worth is the fact that we are all children of God, created in his image, and that gives us a sacred worth well beyond anything uh, that our behavior we point to. We are to love everybody. We are to be the presence of Christ in the world, doing in our time what Jesus did in his. So if Jesus came to the 21st century, where do you suppose he would be? And, and what do you suppose he would be doing? I suspect he'd be in the hospitals, very near to people who are suffering from the coronavirus, giving them comfort and hope. I suspect he'd be with the medical doctors and the nurses and the first responders, giving them energy and encouragement. I suspect he'd be out there in the unemployment line with people who've lost their jobs. He'd be with those people fighting to save their businesses and the jobs for people. I suspect Jesus would be out there sifting through the rubble of houses destroyed by floods or hurricanes, or wildfires, helping them pick up the pieces and go on. I suspect that Jesus would be with the black and brown people who are still suffering from discrimination and abuse. I suspect he would be with that, that good policeman and his family, that good firefighter and his family, 
whose whose responsible jobs are tarnished by the too broad brush of accusation. And I suspect Jesus would be right out there in the Black Lives Matter movement because it was really started by Martin Luther King, by John Lewis, and of course those were inspired by Jesus. Wherever people are marginalized, wherever people are discriminated against, wherever people are hurt, that's where Jesus would be. Because after all, Jesus is the man. That's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called. Oh, Jesus, the man of others, and that's who we are called to be. Through this, Harold DeWolf was a professor at Boston University School of Theology for a lot of years. He was retired, and he was invited to preach at his local church on the Sunday after Christmas. That's where a lot of retired preachers get invited to preach. Uh, pastors often don't preach on the Sunday after Christmas, Sunday after Easter. So a lot of retired preachers get invited in. So he was invited to preach on the Sunday after Christmas. And he was having difficulty coming up with the sermon topic and the scripture. He was walking in the living room of his house, work pacing back and forth, trying to come up with something. And he looked out of the front picture window of his house and saw a little boy. The boy was walking toward the school playground right down the block. He had a nail, and Harold DeWolf said, I'm sure that he got it for Christmas, and he was going to the playground to get up a game. So as he was walking toward the park, Harold DeWolf forgot about his sermon and started concentrating on the little boy. He was so proud of that football. He was throwing it up in the air and catching it, throwing it up and catching it. Soon a second little boy came along and he saw the football and he went running and said, throw it, throw it. And the boy with the football put his hand back as if to throw it. And then he looked up, that, that was his football. It was new, it didn't have a scratch on it. And so he couldn't bear it to, to leave, to let it leave his hand. So the little second little boy stopped and turned, changed his direction. And he said, throw it, throw it. And the boy with the ball feared back to throw it again, but just couldn't bear to part with it. It was his football. Along about that time, a couple of other boys showed up. They had an old beat up football. <laughs> they started throwing it around and kicking it around and having a fine old time. And suddenly Harold Wolf had it, and he had his text. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, uses it, invests it, gives it for my sake and the gospel, will find it. Do you hear it? I've given an example that you should do for one another what I have done for you. And this is how people will know 
you're my disciples. Not by what you believe, not by how you worship, not by what label you carry. This is how people will know if you have love for one another. That's Jesus, the man for others. Let's pray. Father, we pray again for Malone and Charlotte. We pray again for all those suffering from the virus and all those seeking to minister to them. We pray for those who have been hurt by all that's come from that. We, we, we pray for school teachers and administrators and students as they try to put schools back together. We pray for those suffering from hurricanes, flooding, tornadoes, wildfires. We pray for, pray for all people everywhere who are hurting, and especially those who every day feel that they are marginalized and looked down upon and discriminated against. Father, help us to see with the eyes of Jesus, to feel with our heart of Jesus, and to act with the hands of Jesus, to be like him, a man or a woman for others. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Jim. Mm -hmm.